the more you teach me how to love you, the deeper you'll feel my love. Because uh, so that's the, that's the return on investment. Return on investment is that you will have an intimacy that you've never experienced before. I love my friends because I don't, I don't let people in my core. And if you're in my core, it's just not a friendship. It's a covenantial relationship. It's a covenant. And so you, I can't be in covenant with you if I don't know you. Welcome to Chatting Over Chowder. We're your hosts, Bethany and Sherilyn. Chatting Over Chowder is a podcast where we ask people in the podcasting industry what podcasts they listen to while eating chowder. Join us for some fun, laughs, and tomfoolery. Get your spoon ready. We're about to dive in. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Chatting Over Chowder. I am Bethany. I'm Sherilyn. And we are the duo behind chatting over chowder and crackers and soup, which is kind of the same thing, but not because one's a podcast production business and one is a podcast. But it's been a long day and it's the evening, but we have Sherrod Jamison here with us today. Woo, Sherrod Jamison! And I am just going to read you a little bit of your bio because you need to know who you are. Sherrod Jamison is a life strategist, author, minister, entrepreneur, and corporate leader who is committed to helping you be who you were born to be. And that's set up for what society has taught and told you to be. Through her coaching programs, books, sister circles, and speaking events, she passionately challenges people to shed societal shoulds and outdated beliefs so they can soar higher in their personal and professional lives. Sharon earned a Bachelor of Arts degree from Hampton University, Hampton, Virginia. She earned a Master's of Business Administration from Nova Southeastern University, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And Sharon's newest book, Deciding to Soar 2, Unwrapping Your Purpose, was just released and is available wherever books are sold. Sharon, thank you so much for joining us on Chatting Over Chatter. We're so excited to have you. Truly, truly. So grateful to be here. It's nothing better than being in the midst of divas. Queens. And so I'll, I'll great, I'm grateful to be here with you. I celebrate you and I'm so honored that you chose me to share this space with me. So it feels like that we have been soul sisters since 1974, but I truly can't remember how the hell we got up together. Do you? I think we were in a, a group together and your post, I think when I first emailed you, I uh, DNU, I really like your post, your power, your candor, your funny. And I, and that was one of the things I sent you in the DM. I don't know if you remember that I really like your style. I really like your passion. And, and I just thought you were funny. And one of the things I really enjoyed about you is that you always celebrated other women. And it takes a strong woman to celebrate other women because other women don't do it well. In the South, we have this term called nice nasty. <laughs> Well, and it's like you say something about someone, but you don't really celebrate them. You don't feel it in your soul. And you, every time you said something about another woman, I felt it. I felt you believed in it. And it just really made me just want to reach out to you and connect with you because I wanted some of that goodness. You're just like a beacon of light and love. Like a truly, it's just who your inner being is. Like that is your soul. And when I heard your history and your background, I was so taken aback because you just omit 
so much love that I was like, oh, well, this is a person who's had such a like prestigious background and she's never had any hardships. And she is just like, I appreciate everything and everybody because I have been enveloped with love my whole entire life. (laughs) So tell us a little bit of your history and your background and why those situations made you want to go out and start speaking and writing a book and being on numerous different podcasts to kind of tell your story and share who you are? Well, what a great question. One of the things I know for sure is that we are strengthened by our struggle. And so when I think about my life, there were a lot of struggles. Uh, The struggle started because I was born in the 60s and um, started integrating schools. And even though integration was the law of the land, it was not the love of the people. And so I remember in uh, kindergarten, moving too fast and the teacher hitting me in the head with a chair because she thought I was attacking her because her narrative was that black kids, it didn't matter if you were five or 55 who were threats. In um, first grade, a couple of kids jumped on me, threw me off a monkey bars when I was playing and gave me a concussion. And the third grade uh, kids threw me down the steps and cracked my skull. And I remember the taste of my blood. So that was my experience until about the sixth grade. And I was angry. I was enraged. I felt helpless, hopeless, dumb, all the different ways that trauma affects us. But now that I see, and I can look back 50 years ago, those struggles helped me learn to be my own best friend. And it helped me to identify what was true. It helped me to stand in my truth because I was used to being alone. I didn't need a crowd. I can follow my own conscience and not the crowd. But it also let me know the power of my voice because I started not only speaking out for my voice for for me but other people who were marginalized in any type of way based on their color their sex their uh, gender orientation their size their uh, if they were differently abled and so sometimes uh, our 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 history prepares us for our destiny and it prepared me to do this work and to do it with a sense of passion and purpose and to do it uh, in a sense of courage because I don't care if you don't like me. I've been, I'm used to not being liked. You know, I don't need to be in a club and a clan and a clique. You know, I need to do what I feel called to do. And so it was painful. I went through a lot of therapy, a lot of therapy, um, because I had to remember who I was. And that's why I do this work, because we forget who we are and we start succumbing to being what society has taught us to be. I should have done a disclaimer warning at the beginning of this episode because you are going to want to take notes because you just drop all of the gems and all of the knowledge and all of the phraseology. And it's like, and I love the terms that you use, like differently abled because words are so powerful and words are so impactful. And disabled and differently abled are the same thing, but they feel very different. Absolutely. One of the ways we honor people is to help them see their goodness in themselves. Because since we came to the world, we have been socialized out of our strengths. Just think about it. We came to the world, we're all unique. Society wanted us to be predictable, not purposeful. And so what they had to do, they had to shrink us to the lowest common denominator. And what society didn't do, our faith tradition did. 
You know, we have been theologized out of our power. We, we have been theologized out of an honest, true relationship with God and our own intuition. And if that didn't do it, then we were pathologized. We were said that it, to have goals and to have dreams and to want to have dominion in our lives. You are greedy. You are selfish. You are um, you are into your own self-aggrandizement. We're taught all about that. So between being socialized and theologized and pathologized, we lose ourselves. And then we spend 20, 30 years trying to understand who we were. And so that's why my prayer is, God, help me remember who I was before society told me who I was not. And if you can really get to that, you will, you will thrive. You will, you will live your purpose, your sacred contract, your dharma, whatever you call it. But you can't do it if you don't know who you are or you have internalized all of the pejorative paradigms and the messages and the myths about what you can do or what you should do based on your color, your size, your sexual orientation, um, your, your faith tradition, all the different ways that we show up in our uniqueness. And that's really, really key. That's amazing. And it feels like a lot of that sounds like essentially healing that little girl that you had that, you know what I mean? That you had to sort of, that, that had to deal with all of those traumas and all of those things. Um, how would you essentially recommend others start that journey themselves? What a great question. Healing um, is a journey. It's a process. You never arrive. You, you arrive when you come to the, in the coffin, right? That you arrive. You always are arriving. You're always on this journey. One of the things I think is four steps. And that's something that I believe in, in all that I do. One is education. Who are you before society told you who you are not? That means that we have to go back and learn our history. We have to learn what it meant to be a woman of color outside of the white narratives that we were taught and bombarded with throughout our, our, our schooling. Because when you know that you were um, royalty, that the first, you know, universities were in Africa. Oh, you can't tell me I'm not the girl now. I, but, but you have to understand that you have to, you have to be a witness with that. You have to study that. And that's why sometimes if you don't know who you are, you allow other people to tell you who you are. That's dangerous because nobody can tell you who you are outside of your own understanding. So the first thing is education. The second thing is activation. After you understand what's going on, that's the problem. After you become aware, then you have to do the work. Now, the problem is we live in this microwave society and they think, well, I read a book. I should be okay. But I tell people, it took you 20 years to get in this mess. It might take you 20 years to get out of the mess. And we have to activate ourselves because we don't even know all the different parts of ourselves. We start being introduced to ourselves, parts of ourselves that we bury, that we abandon, part of ourselves that we divested to fit into the white culture, part of ourselves that we erase so we can look like everybody else. So you can't even start activating yourself till you see what you're working with. And so we have to see what you're working with. But after you do the activation part, that's the healing, healing all the lies and challenging all the paradigms. Then it's time for elevation. That means now that I know what gift that I carry, my grandmother used to say, never connect with people who don't know the gifts that you carry. So when you start knowing how talented you are, how unique you are, when you understand your strength and your weaknesses, when you understand your purpose, and we all have one, right? And understand what wealth means to you. 
and not have to succumb to societal understandings and definitions of success, then you elevate yourself to a higher level of living. And elevation does not mean money. Sometimes elevation means meaning. Sometimes it means mattering, right? So we elevate ourselves and we hold ourselves and we love ourselves and we celebrate ourselves. And then after we get free, the last one is liberation. Then we liberate others because only free people can free people. So if I don't know who I am, I don't have any credibility to free someone else. And it, the truth is people don't need more education. They need a good example. Because how many books can you read? But it doesn't matter if you don't see it. We, we, we learn by modeling. And so we need some women to know who they are, to be all of who they are without apology and stand in it and model it. So the generations behind us can see what it looks like to be bold, brilliant, and beautiful. And that is a hard thing to do. So those are the four steps. And those four steps are really important. But you got to, but we have to spend time on the education part because people don't know themselves. So many times when my sessions, I ask people, what do you like? What turns you on? What, what, is your, what is your values? What makes your heart sing? What are your gifts? Many people don't even know the gifts that are in their hands, in their hearts, in their heads. Your gifts are your ammunition. So you're trying to build a, a world without your tools. Your gifts are your tools. And so we got to know that because here's the minister part of me. The Bible says our, our, our gifts will make room for us. Well, you can't make a room if you don't know where your tools are. So that's really, really important. So those are the four stages, but you can't do that by yourself. We do this in community. And that's the hard part because so many of us have been wounded by people who look like us. Or we have been oppressed by people who don't look like us. So, so we have people, women of color, we have a double whammy to contend with. And that's why we have to do the work. And the work is different. And I know this is going to sound mean, but I have to say it. I think it's a challenge when women of color, we keep going to white coaches who have a, a different narrative and a different story. If you are Latinx, Latinx or Asian Pacific Island or um, African-American or mixed race, we have a different um, uh, life to live. We, have, we, we, we are looked at differently. We are seen differently. We are undervalued, we are underestimated. We have different histories. We have generational trauma. And you can't go to a person who, who, who came into the world privileged and you're going to understand my pain because whatever you teach me is not going to be relevant. And then you're going to coach me to hate myself because you don't know how trauma lives in my body. So you're going to tell me to work on my mindset. No, baby, this is generational trauma. I, can't, I just can't just think this away while I'm dealing with racism every single day. It's not a mindset issue. Now, there are different skills, but it's not a mindset issue. And that's what, why it's really, really important for us to do this work with people who understand our path. I love that. And if you do find a coach or a therapist who is Caucasian, mm -hmm. having them say, I see you. I've never experienced that, but I see you and I hear you and I acknowledge your pain is so profound because the therapist that changed my life 15 years ago was like the skinny white lady. And she was woke before the word woke was woke. <laughs> and she changed my life because she saw things in me and saw habitual things that I was doing 
and was able to verbalize to me why I was in this pattern without even me seeing it. So you have to go with your innate feeling. If you're meeting with somebody who is a coach, if you're meeting with somebody, a therapist, as someone who is a gynecologist, <laughs> whomever, of a professional status, and you're, and you're seeking them for advice or for health reasons or for whatnot, if you feel a visceral reaction in the negative, I feel like we have been conditioned to ignore that and disregard that innate soul connection between body and mind if things are what they should be and if things aren't. So if your body is immediately going into and people are like, oh, I don't trust my gut. Are, are you having instantaneous goosebumps around this person? Yes, yes, yes. And it's so interesting. We are taught not to trust our gut, which is interesting. I want to say there's something that you just said was so important. I've had therapists and coaches of every color because I feel like every culture has a piece of the puzzle that I need, right? So I don't, no, I don't think anybody has to mark it on wholeness. That's, but I do think it's important that as we are healing to find coaches who have walk that path because they can see stuff that somebody else doesn't see. For example, I'm in corporate America. I'm a director in a pharmaceutical company. Many times my women of color, they can go to another leadership coach and can tell them something, but nobody can tell you how to navigate as a woman of color, but me, you know what I'm saying? And successfully navigate it. So you need both because because they have, if, if they're part of the dominant group, they have the privilege of seeing things that I've never seen. So I want to own that. They have, they have seen things that I've never seen, and that's important. But it's also important to say, you know what, Sharon, how do you deal with microaggression? How do you deal with cold switching without, without feeling schizophrenic? How do you challenge someone when someone says something that's not appropriate? How do you separate somebody's feedback and not, not internal it to, in a way that it emotionally cripples you? See, I can tell you that. So that's why it's really, really important to your point to be open to wisdom, wherever wisdom comes. I'm owning that because like I said, I have my, I have coaches of every color and also every sexuality because I think gender is fluid. So I have to make sure that if I want to coach people, I have to see through their lenses. And if a person can help me see myself, that's well. But I also think it's valuable to say, as a Black woman, tell me about your story. Because some of the stuff that I learned to deal with corporate America came from those old mothers in the church who had third grade educations. They had never been in corporate America, but they knew how to handle people and they knew how to deal with being undermined and they knew how to deal with the dominant group in ways that the book didn't tell us. Right. So they're like, listen, baby, let me tell you how you handle that. So they're a great education, but it's that mother wisdom that only they can pass down to me that I can pass down to my other sisters. And I say, get wisdom wherever you can find it. But there's something that I, I can tell. It's something that both of you can tell women of color that not somebody that grew up in, a, in the dominant culture has every experience. And they need both of us. Both of us. And that's, so I'm glad you brought that up. It's so good. <laughs> and that's just like a homegirl sisterhood, right? Like if you're looking across the room and you see another woman of color, 
and like things are acting a little hinky and you look at that person, you just slide right in and you're like, hey, how are you? Because it's like a protective mode. It's an unspoken understanding. That is what it is. It's, it's this unspoken because there's a shared understanding. It's a shared experience. So sometimes you just, we don't, we don't even have to talk. We're just like, <laughs> I like, like sometimes I can see other women presenting and I will just do this. Let me slow down. I, I don't have to say a word. I don't care if they were raised in California and I was raised in North Carolina. Oh, oh. it's the same. You know what I'm saying? And, and, we, and we need that because some of us are the first. We're the first, the few, and the only. So when I went to corporate America, my parents can help me. They had never, they can't help me. They've never been there. So I had to rely on anybody, but I didn't know how to dress. I didn't know how to eat. You know, I went to these restaurants, you know, after I, I uh, graduated from college, they had four forks. At home, we had one fork. It was a, it was a salad fork, seafood fork. It was the fork fork. So I went there and I had four forks and I'm scared to eat. So I, I, so I felt comfortable saying to my sister, look, grandma and them, we had one fork. We had one spoon. You know, I went to a restaurant, you have a salad, this, and you have a soup spoon, you have this. I'm paralyzed. And we don't think about that, but if you wasn't raised with that, how do you know? So I had to have basic etiquette classes, baby. Your cup goes over here. The stuff goes over here. I didn't have a globulet. We had Kool-Aid in the cup. Kool-Aid. And I didn't know all of that. I didn't know how to cut. So those are some things that you might not want to share too. But you can share with someone who had the same experience because they understand. And those are those messages, those passed out messages that makes the difference because it's all about impression. I can't go there like, I sure I don't want to eat. And I'm looking like I'm, you know, I have no home training. So if I look like I have no home training, they make assumptions about my ability. Absolutely. And I think it's amazing too. And I, I think that's why for me, it's always been so important. A, I, I know the women that in my life that have helped me get to a place where I am. And it was with their wish that like, you know, when they were in the same position, they had no one. And I want to continue that. You know what I mean? I feel like sometimes what happens is that you, for example, the salad fork situation. Can you imagine if another woman in your same position, especially another woman of color, was like looking at you all sorts of ways because you didn't know, you know what I mean, rather than helping you. And that's why it's so important just as women, especially women of color, to be there for each other, never to try and step on each other's toes. There's not enough of us out there. This isn't a competition. There's not enough of us out there. We need to push each other up together because I know when a single one of my friends make it, that means I made it too. And that's, that's all I want. And so it's so important to have that connection and have that connection be the connection of helpfulness, of, of wanting to push each other up, not of mm, this other girl's my, my competition in here. And so I love that our first reactions are like, Yes, there's someone like me that I can relate to and we can push each other. And that's what I want to hear every time. Yeah. Something you said, it was so critical about helping each other. 
we have brought in so many women of color have inculcated this narrative of the crab barrel syndrome. But guess what? That's what, first is why we in the crab barrel. Who puts us? Who put us in there? White supremacy. They put us in the barrel and then taught us to hate each other because they taught us to hate ourselves. And so, when, for women of color, sometimes we don't reach out because we don't first think we're worthy of help. Everybody else getting help, right? But sometimes we we are ashamed. And I think it's so important that we learn as women to support each other without the judgment. Now, why is that important? When you grow up with a lot of trauma, we don't learn how to to hold space and hold each other with love. We don't learn how to care. We don't learn how to care for and care about very different things. So if we never seen it, you can't do something that you never have witnessed. And we all experience and express love differently. So how I would do something for Bethany might not feel like love to you. But how I feel, give love to Sharon Lynn, like, oh, gosh, she's offending me. We have to be honest and tell people how you experience love. The love languages are just not for your spouses, for your friendships. And I, I always tell people, listen, this is what I need from you. Let me show you what it looks like. So remember, we learn in images, not words, right? And then I say, how can I support you? And what does it need to look like? Why do I do that? Now I have a clear picture of how they experience love. Because if you experience love for chocolate ice cream, don't give me strawberry ice cream, right? It, it, it becomes, it feels offensive. Then we think, oh, she's not trying to love me. People don't know how to love you because we all have different journeys. So I'm really clear when I tell people, let, let me tell you how to love me. One, I'm an introvert. Don't try to come over. I don't like company, right? I mean, I'm very introverted. Two, how to love me. Understand that I need a lot of time alone. Don't call me after 8.30 unless you're on fire. I, you know, I love to work out. Don't be trying to call me when I work out. And I'm one of those friends, don't call me with small talk. I am not the friend to say, oh, how's the weather? Look outside and see for yourself, right? I'm not the, and it irritates me. But see, I know that about me. So I tell people, listen, this is how you, this is how you can get the best from me. So I asked them, how can I get the best from you? So I always have very different conversations. Why? And the more we play with computers, we get great computer skills, but we, we start to de uh, reduce our coping, communication, and conflict management skills. And if I don't understand conflict, I will never be a disruptor or innovator. But we have to be able to have rules. I call them friendship rules. What's the, how can, what are the rules to be in connection with you? Because you're so valuable. I tell my friends, I love you so much, I don't want to get it wrong. And I tell people, love me enough not to practice on me. Don't practice. Do one, two, three. These are these three bullet points. No, because if you love me, I told you how to love me. Now, you can surprise me, but do those three first because those, those three are my foundation. Does that make sense? It does. I love this because people look at me and they're like, oh my gosh, you're so extroverted. You're so, and I'm like, no, I'm, I'm truly not. I am an introverted extrovert because I know how I need to recharge and recharging is being by myself. Recharging is for me taking it out. Recharging is watching something by myself or reading a book. And if I don't get to achieve those type of things, 
and people are still trying to extract love from me, I get very cranky and very standoffish and very bitchy. And, and I know who I am. <laughs> and my husband will say to me, do you need to take a nap? And I'm like, yes, I do. Yes, I do. And I, and you know, my husband and I have known each other since we were 13. And I still say to him, my love language is acts of service. Like I cook for my family. I clean the house. I do the laundry, not because I'm some 1960s housewife, but because that's how I show that I love you. We bought you soup because that's how I show that we love you. I cook for Sherline when pre-COVID because that's how I show I love her. Saying I love you is like meh to me. Because anybody can say those words. But taking your time out and your energy to do something because you know that I'm tired that that touches my heart every single day. My kids unloaded the dishwasher yesterday and I was like, oh my God, that means so much. It's just, it's, people think it's the big things. Marriages break, break off because of the little things. Like my, my dad, my, me and my dad write together. And when he says, oh, I like your, you know, I like something that you wrote. That doesn't feel good. This is what I like. Baby, I like what you wrote. And when you were talking about such and such and such and such, I like how you narrated the story. I can see that's how I, you can't give me a blanket. You got to tell me why you love me. You know, oh, Sharon, you can look at what you like about me. Right? You're right? I'm a person of image. I learn in images and pictures. And so I think it's so important, but we need to tell our sisters that. We need to say, listen, my, you know, my love language is acts of service because we don't love each other, right? Because we don't ask each other the right questions. The quality of our life is always based on the quality of our questions. What are you asking me? And one of the questions I ask one of my friends all the time is how can I win at loving you? I want to, because I told her like, oh my God, you're so good to me. I just want to win. I love you. What does that need to look like? You're in my images. Because the thing is, I want to know what does it look like? I don't want to bring you soup and you want an ice cream. Right? And, and don't bring me soup if I told you I want a steak. Right? Because I feel like we need to customize. People are so important. The, the ones that you really love, customize your love. I think that's powerful. It truly is. I agree that I think that the biggest issue is that we all know how we want to be loved and then we want to give that to others automatically on not understanding that that's not how they want to be loved. So I, I love the how do I win at loving you? That is amazing. I'm going to start using that. No, please. I'm happy to tell you that's amazing. And the person doesn't know, just tell them, you know, I always tell them, listen, the more you teach me, how to love you, the deeper you'll feel my love. Because uh, so that's, the, that's the return on investment. The return on investment is that you will have an intimacy that you've never experienced before. I love my friends because I don't, I don't let people in my core. And if you're in my core, it's just not a friendship. It's a covenantial relationship. It's a covenant. And so are you, I can't be in covenant with you if I don't know you because you're too valuable for me to practice on. We don't let doctors practice on us. We don't let dentists, let me practice taking out your tooth. You know, oh, let me just practice this. Oh, oh, that's the wrong leg. I'm sorry. You know, we don't, we don't, where else do we let people practice on us? We have to give people some type of foundation. And then after they do that, they surprise me. That's why I ask God, God surprised me. But God always meets my needs first, right? 
And that's why I love the influx of women of color podcasts in 2020. When COVID happened, it allowed the whole world to take pause and to really get centered with who they are, what they truly enjoy. And so many women of color have found podcasting as a way to communicate, as a way to show their love. And it's so important to have all of the narratives. So not only is it, okay, well, I show my love by gossiping with my friends about celebrity crap. <laughs> or how Cheryl I'd show our love to our listeners by introducing them to women in the podcasting industry so that they see somebody that reflects them. And if they wanted to get into the podcasting industry, they can see themselves on each and every one of our guests. You have chosen two amazing podcasts that you listen to because you're all about spirit and love and who child. You're just a, you're, you're like a crystal that's formed itself into a human. <laughs> what a compliment. I, thank you for that. Thank you for that. I love two podcasts, particularly one is called The Homecoming by Dr. Tima. And the reason being, um, I think, like I said, we come, we came into the world knowing that we were gifted, knowing that we were equipped to do something powerful and meaningful, something that we could only do. And we came to the world understanding to hear the spirit. But as we grow up, we get further and further and further away from our truth because we've been socialized to fit in. And we start in the, in the voice of God, of the spirit, we stop hearing. One of the, but if you are, are a person of destiny and all we are, a person of purpose, you have to come home to yourself, to ground yourself, to anchor yourself, to know yourself, to love yourself, to witness yourself. And after you do that, you have to witness yourself before you start winning. You have to understand your gifts and your talents and your strengths, but you have to kind of swim back to who you were and who God created you to be. And that's why the prayer is so important to say, God, show me who I was before society told me who I was not. Who, who was I? What did you have in mind, God, before you created me? So you have to go back home and go back home. It's not only education, but it's healing that little girl. Go back home to, to disprove all the messages and the myths and all the narratives, all of the, the oppressive beliefs around racism and sexism and phobia and colorism, all this type of things to go back home to your self and that's what she her whole podcast is how do you get back home to yourself that's where your power lives that's where your clarity lives that's what your grounding lives you're anchored because the higher you go the more anchored you have to go down you have to be grounded and the problem is sometimes people like to want to blow without being planted and you can't grow without being planted and nurtured and watered. And, and if you, how do you know who you are if you don't take inventory? And so I think she talks about homecoming, come back to yourself, the journey back home. And it is a, back, a, a journey because some of us are away in the middle of the ocean. No idea who we are. We have divested of our truth. We have erased parts of our identities. We have disowned an, um, our history. We have buried our secrets, you know? So now we are just in the wilderness, wondering and worrying. 
right? But not winning. And so it's important she talks about that. And then the other one I like is called The Witness. And it's about liberation, right? Uh, Christian liberation. Because even though I'm a minister, I believe in justice. And I believe that Jesus is connected to justice. So because of that, I have to find progressive communities so I can love God in a way that feels right for me. I think religion teaches us to shriek God down to our understanding. But I believe in liberation. I, I believe in prophetic imagination. I believe in li liberatory imagination. So I always, uh, I always pray, God, totally help me imagine who I would really be without, without, totally liberated from the status quo, totally liberated from shoulds and society and mama and them and what they want and trauma. I want to liberate myself. So that means I have to liberate myself from the oppressive re uh, religion that I learned that was passed down. It's a problem when your first missionaries are also your slaveholders. You can't, your missionaries can also be your oppressors, right? And then, because I don't believe in patriarchy in the pulpit, I had to find a way to experience God that as a woman, I call God she and he. I had to experience an understanding of religion that I saw black me in the scriptures. And so this, um, this podcast opens and widens the understanding of Christianity. So we know that we belong, everybody belongs. I don't care if you're gay, straight, transgender, bisexual, um, black, white, brown, it doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter if you're Muslim because my first marriage was to a Muslim minister. I am in. Now I lost my whole family, but I believe in liberation. And so people ask me, how could you be a Christian minister and marry a Muslim? Because God is bigger than a book. And so I was able to stretch and to grow. And now I can't continue to do that. And so I have to find something that lets me understand who I am and in all my fullness. Because just think, we all are living as a fraction of who we are. Because what we're going on, what we on our way home. And now in my mid-50s, I am pressing every button, every envelope. I am rattling political fences. I am uh, kicking down doors and crashing glass ceilings because I want the generation behind me to step on my shoulders because I am stepping on the shoulders of so many women of all colors, of all races, all sizes, all nationalities, all uh, um, gender expressions and gender orientations. And I think that's really, really important. And so just the way I believe about God, a lot of people, I get disinvited to go to church because I marry a gay couple and people are like, oh, that's problem. Listen, if you find somebody who loves you in 2021, get married. But wait a minute, after some premarital counseling, wait a minute, after some counseling, get married. And because I feel like love is such a gift, who cares what it comes packaged in? And a lot of people don't um, have challenges around my theology, but I'm not going to allow somebody's understanding of God to limit me. And people are so funny because the interpretation of religion is man-made. So when the settlers came, their belief of religion wasn't agreed upon among some people. So they separated in order to create their secular religion. And then they separated again because they believed that somebody was, uh, that the people practicing weren't strict enough in that religion, or they believed that the people practicing religion were too strict. So there are so many different variables just from the European settlers themselves to sit in staunch protest. And this goes back to what you had said 
initially with knowing your history, knowing information. You're following blindly with people who, when they first came here, didn't know what religion they, they were following because they didn't really believe in those rules and regulations. So they were like, well, we like this portion, but we don't like this portion. So we're going to concentrate on this portion. So it's like they couldn't even get it together. Absolutely. But isn't that interesting? Oppressors become the best oppressors. Oppressors of, of people who leave oppression, get free and oppress others. Isn't that interesting? Yes. And even as a minister, I, I go back and get my African stuff. I don't just believe the Bible. I go back and get my African stuff. And also uh, my grandmother was Cherokee. I go get my Native American stuff. So I'm loaded. I got all, I'm getting all ancestor stuff be, be, because God is so God that God can never be contained by one faith. It's so funny. Now the, the dominant group is learning the power of the drums and how the drums help with moving with trauma. Did we know that over in Africa and also in the native cultures? I'm thinking like, y'all, but, but now since it's been endorsed by the dominant group, now it's important. We knew that we were born into that. Same with the humming. Remember when growing up, our grandmothers was like, now, now the research says that humming works. We knew that. Grandmama them taught us that. And so, so sometimes I feel that we reject something and then when somebody else a, a rubber stamps it, and then we love it. I'm thinking if you know your history, you know it's just your prepackaged stuff, and they put a new name on it, and they call it New World, but it's, it, it's really ancient history. And it comes back to the same with hoodoo and voodoo. Yes! When they misinterpreted hoodoo and voodoo and said that it was satanic and then had all of these negative connotations to it, when it was actually using herbs, it was actually using sage. All of these things that are, as you said, new wave now, these are ancestral things that have been passed down from generation to generation, but because they didn't understand it, they deemed it satanic or they deemed it scary. So religion, check your shit. The history in the background. Right. Isn't it, isn't it so myopic that we demonize what we don't understand? Mm-hmm. We're just going to demonize it, and, and which is, to me, lazy. Why yes. Research it? Let's research it. But no, we want to say it's a sin. Well, go ahead. Why y'all sinning? I'm going to be sliding into heaven. Me and my African drums, my, my Native American um, understanding in, in the Bible, one in the Quran and all of, all of my stuff. I'll see you in heaven. And I believe that it's not laziness. It's they didn't care enough to. You know what I mean? Uh, they didn't care enough to. because And I mean, in today's society, we have the Internet. It's so much more accessible. So I often feel when someone says, well, I don't understand something. You have that. You have these resources. And and I, I want to honestly thank you, Sean, because I, you're opening up a space for people who felt so oppressed to religion, who felt like religion had no place in their lives because they felt that religion never accepted them. And you fighting those norms, uh, those societal norms of religion and just, you know, saying, hey, you have someone who believes in you, who accepts you fully and God loves you because so many people have become have gotten to a point where they don't believe in God. You know what I mean? Simply because every religion has told them they are not accepted by God and God doesn't love them, which we know is a lie. Yeah. 
And so I, I genuinely, genuinely appreciate you opening up that space because I know so many people who I, I can't wait for them to hear this episode and hear you because I know that that will warm their hearts. You just warm my heart by even saying that. I think we all desire and hunger to be witnessed, to be affirmed, to be seen, to be known in our in our nakedness, in our emotional nakedness. And if we have to put our armor to survive, we will. But if given the choice, people want to take that armor off. That armor is heavy. And it's filled with shame and guilt and disgust and self-loathing. It's so filled with with dehumanization and and being villainized and tokenized and it's yucky. So I hope people know. I want to say it again. Sexuality is fluid. Gender is fluid. We are, we love who we love. And we have a right to be loved how we want to experience love. So be courageous. It's always better to be hated for who you are than to be loved for who you are not. Let somebody hate you. Because if you have to perform to get love, you'll be a puppet for the rest of your life. And nobody wants to do that. Well, you warmed Charlotte's heart, but I want to warm your tummy. So tell me about your soup. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm sorry. I, this stuff is rosy. I've got chicken noodle soup. And the noodles are so big, you still have any with a fork. It is poor. Uh, it's, as far as it's free, but it's so good. Chunky meat. And I ate the rolls throughout the box. I didn't even wait to heat up. I was just like, oh, this is good. Oh, this is good. Me. One more bite. And then, I, then after I warmed I'm like, oh, my God. After I warmed up all the soup. There were no rolls. I had eaten five rolls. Five. So the rolls were good and the soup without the rolls are good. Though, have, you, have you had those rolls? Aren't they nice? That bread? Girl, if you had heated them up, trust me, even better. Ooh. Even better. I needed some apple butter. <laughs> yes. Ooh. Yes. Ugh. When we were trying to come up with the concept of this podcast, we knew we wanted to introduce all different demographics of women that do podcasting, albeit being a guest on a podcast or editing or graphic designing. We were like, the best conversations that we all have is sitting with our homegirls, eating some food, just talking and sharing and some of it being nonsense and some of it being so deep that you're in tears at the end. And that's how we wanted to bring our voices to our listeners. So we do it to honor our guests and who you are and coming on. And we're so appreciative of you and your information and your spirit and your soul. And you just completely shifted my energy from when I started this to now. My husband may get some tonight. So he thinks you. And you know what? Get crunk with it. You know what? Sexuality and spirituality are this close. You know, I feel like it's, if you can, and I think sometimes we think, oh, if you can close your eyes and and pray, orgasm is just another way of saying amen. Well, like, I think it's in French. It means the little death. Oh, the, the French word for orgasm. Oh, wow. I, well, I hope he gets a home run today. <laughs> yeah, <I'm freaking> <laughs> <home>. <laughs> 
I love, that's my other subject I love to talk about, but that's about the <laughs> So Sharon, Bisk, please tell us where everybody can find you, where everybody can join you in your coaching and in your sermons. Where can people find you? Oh, thank you so much. Everything is my name. My blog, my, uh, all the social media, Sharon Jameson. And um, follow me. I will definitely follow them back. I post, try to post every day. And sometimes I post from some of my books. Sometimes I just feel whatever God has put on my heart for the say, to say or whatever's going on in the world. Um, I would love for people to buy my books. I have four individual books and I'm part of four anthologies. And I also have a journal. So it's nine books. And I, my books are, it's wisdom, mother wit, information about growing up. Um, I, every chapter, I try to give people some, some tools and some strategies to move to the next level, however they define that. Um, but you can find yourself in my books because uh, I write about all, everything that I'm talking about I, is in that book. And um, my newest book um, that just came out, Deciding the Sword 2, I read for your purpose. And this book really talks about some, everything we talked about. We have an amazing, unique purpose in the world, but sometimes it gets buried under our trauma, our socialization, uh, our oppression, how we were raised and reared, um, different types of uh, social media. And so sometimes we have to shed all those shoulds and to, and to divest of all these programming so we can see ourselves because if our purpose is buried under layers of armor and minutia, you'll never be all that God has called you to be, which means that you never have fulfillment. And, and so we want to kind of understand what our purpose is so we can get into our flow because nobody is happy wandering in the world, not understanding what to do. I, I was that way. And, um, and my purpose was really there. I kind of knew it, but it, but I thought it should be bigger. You know, I'm like, I don't want to be a minister, but see, I, I knew I want to be a minister, but I couldn't find a theology that I fit. And that's why it's, exposure is so important. I saw another woman in a pulpit with big old earrings and shaved head and heels. I'm like, oh, there I go. There it is right there. There it is right there. I saw another woman, you know, 55 and still balling. And I'm like, there, that's it. So I think that's really, really important. And then I have a program called I Dare to Be Me. And it's a six-month program where we go through the process together of shedding um, those shoes, understanding who you are. Because here's the thing. There's two things I want to leave people with. We, we have born with, that's our skills and our abilities and our truth, born with. Then you have born in, socialization, oppression, shoes, right? Now, what happens is over time, our born in starts to smother born with. So what we do in my program, we, we start to uncover, unwrap the born with so it can take dominion and challenge born in. And that is really, really important. So it's called Dare to Be Me because it takes courage to be yourself. It takes courage self. It takes courage and confidence to follow your own conscience and not the crowd. It is scary because people will reject you. But it's all about being a legacy builder. It's all about being a destiny seeker. And so um, that's identity me. We start again in June. I only keep my progress really small because I love to have 
engagement. Gosh, I do all the types of things, you know, speak, IG, um, and I'm always looking for women, especially over 50, hey, because we still try, to, you know, we haven't lost it, right? Looking for women in corporate America who are transitioning um, to get either out of corporate America or, or transitioning up and trying to understand how to navigate those new places. Then I deal with women who are changing their sexualities. When women who said, you know what? I've been married to a man, but I'm a lesbian. Well, come on, let's kind of let's kind of help you, you know, navigate that because of, there's some, there's some you st- there's some grieving that has to happen. Every loss, you know, loss is always connected to liberation, and so I kind of help them with that process. And so that's kind of all the stuff that I do, and I love my work. And also, I work a full time job, and I'm a pastor, uh, associate pastor at a church. But I love the work that I do. I don't know all if you've things. ever thought of literally how many lives you've saved. Because there are probably so many people who are on the cusp of, I can't live one more day in this false prophet that I have become with this fallacy, with this facade. And just hearing you speak, however, whatever medium they have found you on, you have saved lives and you're going to save so many more. You are put on this earth to exude love in every facet. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you for sliding in my DMs because I I still slide in yours. (laughs) No, genuinely. And I, I honestly, I don't foresee our audience not listening to this episode and running to your website and checking you out either, whether it's your books to see your programs because I know I'm going to be recommending that. <laughs> Honestly, um, you, this is, it, this has been more than a pleasure. It's amazing. And I'm looking forward to stalking you on everything. I'll stalk you back. I'm so grateful. So I just pray God's blessings on our lives. I pray God's blessings on everything you touch. I hope, I pray that God touches the fruit of your hands. I pray that God touches your your head to give you new ideas and ways to disrupt the status quo. I pray creativity and innovation in your mind and give you the courage to do it. And I pray for your families that you are so enveloped with love that you feel anchored to do what has never been done before. That's my prayer for all of you. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Have a blessed night, y'all. Thank you so much for listening to Chatting Over Chowder. This episode is sponsored by Crackers and Soup. You can find out more about our guest and Crackers and Soup in our show notes. If you loved this episode, subscribe and drop us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, stay stay super. super.